You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In today's episode, Father Paul kicks off the new year with a discussion of Genesis chapter 14, noting that the people do not return to the so-called land of Canaan, but to the heavenly Zion. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Chapter 14 is interesting perhaps for no other reason meaning that the basic reason is that it seems to stand on its own if you would read for instance to the classroom or to a congregation and move from 13 to 15 without reading 14 no one is going to miss it And that, again, as I keep repeating, is very important. Remember what I say, that when we find a phrase in an epistle of Paul that really is unique and is thrown there, really doesn't make much difference. Theologians like to deal with the text like that. They go by weight. It's not true. If it is there, then it is intentional and it has really a high value. My reading of this chapter, on the basis that the cycle of Abram is a complete cycle, at the beginning of which Abram goes down to Egypt, then comes back, and then here we see him going in the direction of Babylon and being victorious over the mighty kings of Mesopotamia and coming back, that is, in a nutshell, the story precisely of Jacob slash Israel later, which is expanded over the entire scripture. If this is so, then really my view, which I stress time again in the prophets, that the people do not come back to the so-called land of Canaan or the earth of Canaan, but actually they go into the heavenly Zion. You are in Jerusalem, which is a harlot, per Isaiah chapter 1. And you are punished, and when you come back, you come back to the new city, Zion, where you are supposed to abide by the will of God, as we hear in Isaiah 2, in those days, both Israel and the nations will go up to the mountain, not to see God, you can see him, but to hear his Torah and his teaching. And the Torah never disappears, as we hear more than once in Ezekiel, that your heart of stone will become a heart of flesh, and that's why you have to abide by the law of the Spirit, as Paul calls it 
in Romans chapter 8. That, I believe, is completely mishandled by classical theology. Classical theology, whether Jewish or Christian, is that we are it. No, in the Bible, the it is only God and his own city. And this is reflected in chapter 14. Let's try to hear it from that perspective. At the beginning, we have in the days of the king of Shinar. Interesting, we have the word Shinar that we have met earlier. Then another one is Elam, which is Sumer, Persia. And then the last one is very interestingly Goyim, which is the nations. So very clearly, we are talking about the nations, the outside nations that, you know, present themselves as mighty in the erection of the city and the tower of Babel. But here they are going to be belittled by a shepherd, which is very funny. Can you imagine a shepherd going with a few of his gentlemen running after five armies and routing them? I mean, it's silly. But that's what the text is saying. And these five mighty kings attack precisely the area of Canaan. Okay, we have Sodom, we have Gomorrah, we have Adma. Very interesting is related to the Adama. And then other kings with the specific names that would be interesting, but there is no reason for me to overwhelm here my hearers. They are all of them functional. Zeboim is from Zaba to overflow and so on. It's a good place to be. And all these join forces in the valley of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Okay, to counteract the approach of the kings of Mesopotamia. And 12 years they had served Kedor Laomer, but the 13th year they rebelled. Okay, they wanted to go for their freedom from this oppression. And the word rebelled is precisely maradu, maradu, which is the classic verb. And that is very important because the one who's going to win against the kings of Mesopotamia are not those kings, but Abram, the men of Abram, as we shall see soon. And verse 5, again, all the verses are interesting. You're going to hear me say it's interesting because it's a play on names that they subdued the Rephaim, remember that name that we heard for the first time in chapter 6, the mighty one. In Ashtarot Karnaim, remember that duel, the two horns, and thus the power. So these cities in Canaan were very powerful, and yet they were uh, subdued. The last name is Shaveh Kiryatayim, two villages. Uh, we hear about this in Amos. 
this double uh, underscores uh, the power of the city. So all these have been put down by the five kings of Mesopotamia. And we have the mention of the Horites, which are in Mount Seir, very important, and then followed by as far as El Paran. These two names are found in conjunction with the mountain of the Lord in the southern part of the Negev. And precisely we hear at the end of the verse, on the border of the wilderness. So here again we have the entire area that will become the earth of the promise and that goes down all the way to the mountain of the Lord. Very important. Okay, and his new mountain is going to be in the Zion we're going to meet under Melchizedek, but we'll talk about it in its own time. And in verse 7, we hear Ein Mishpat, which is the source, the fountain of the judgment. I mean, when you combine Seir and Paran and Ein Mishpat, and then the text says about Ein Mishpat that it is Kadesh, all these names will appear later in conjunction with Israel in the wilderness and more specifically with the mountain of the road and the presentation of the Torah in Deuteronomy the second time. Then we hear that the Amalekites and the Amorites, very important, let's remember that word because it's going to appear at the end that lived in Canaan, that in turn militates to back up my thesis that we have really in this area everybody, as we heard at the end of 13, the 10 nations. The Amorites are specifically from northern Syrian wilderness. What are they doing there? Okay, so that's the biblical story. We have to hear it on the basis of words and their meaning. That's all we can do. When you historicize it, you're making your own story. You're writing your own scripture. Then in verse 8, we have again the mention of Sodom and Gomorrah in preparation for chapter 18 with Lot. And all these things, they joined battle in the valley of Siddim, which is the salt sea. Then the other kings meet them, and in ten the valley of Siddim was filled of bitumen pits. We heard about this in conjunction with the ark, but also in conjunction with the building of the powerful city. And thus it tells us that these kings of Canaan really behaved 
like the nations of ten. They wanted themselves to rise in rebellion and to assert themselves against the power of the aggressors. And this is precisely what scripture does not want you to do because it will never end. It will be again and again and again and again. The solution, as we shall see, is presented in that chapter whereby ultimately we are under the ages of the king of righteousness, and I'll talk about it in its own time. So the enemy, we are told, took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions that famous Rakush, which we have heard with Abraham earlier, they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, everything that he had, and departed. Okay, in chapter 12 we hear that both Abram and Lot were rich people. Then one escaped and told, let's hear it, Abram the Hebrew. It's for the first time out of the blue we have the Hebrew, Haibri, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshkol and Aner. Very interestingly, these three names will appear at the closing of the chapter but let's hear it that we have someone who is Amorite and that becomes very important because if you take it with what we shall hear later in chapter 23 where Abram takes a piece of land from Ephron the Hittite, then you cannot miss the combination of the two, which you hear twice in Ezekiel 16, my father was an Amorite and my mother was a Hittite, which means that Israel is just one of the nations. Okay, and as we heard in the podcast of two weeks ago, you know, it's a flip of the coin. You are chosen, but you're not different from the others. In other words, your DNA is not special. It is Amorite and Hittite. So, again, I'm stressing these things which I believe are very important. So, we're not hearing a story as though it's a movie. We are hearing words, and we have to interconnect them. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.